Tasting Your Food. Tell us on it where we reveal the secrets to effortless weight loss à la française. I am your host and certified nutritionist, Adrienne Hugh. The Tell Us Summit is based on my best-selling Amazon book, Frenching Your Food, which lays out the seven main weight loss tips I have received from French women over the past 30 years. These simple tips focus around nurturing and nourishing yourself, following your instincts, and improving your overall relationship with real food. By the end of this summit, you will have a completely fresh outlook on what you put in your body and how to achieve lasting weight loss that does not rely on gimmicks like starvation, calorie counting, or eliminating entire food groups unless medically necessary. Today, we talk about your breath. And here we have Dr. Artur Rakimov of normalbreathing.com. Welcome to the Telesummit. Oh, thank you, Adriana. Thank you. Well, it's, um, I'm, I was so glad that you agreed to be with us because um, there's so much emphasis on exercise these days and so much emphasis on calories. And we kind of lose sight of our normal housekeeping of the body and just the very, very basics that could be standing in the way. And so when I've been studying breathing techniques for a while now, um, what's so wrong about the way we breathe today? Well, if we look at medical science, and I use literally hundreds of studies when I teach our students to provide them, like with the first theoretical background, and in my books as well, for example, the homepage of normalbriefing.com has probably more than 100 Western studies showing changes in our briefing patterns during the last 100 years, as well as showing what are the briefing parameters. And here on this particular page, I have studies related to how much people brief, minute ventilation. Uh, in people with normal health, good health, like healthy subjects, uh, in comparison with people who have asthma, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, all these chronic uh, common health problems. And the common observation, which can be easily found there, is uh, quite staggering in a way that actually normal briefing, and the nor like the norm which we can find in medical textbooks, is very small. It should be somewhere around 6-7 liters per minute at rest. Like if we, let's say, mm -hmm. we imagine a person sits down, uh, rest for a few minutes, uh, briefing uh, kind of becomes stable, regular. And at this moment of time, we can put devices, start to measure what is the ventilation, how, much, uh, how many liters of air a person breathes in one minute. And the medical norm, again, is about six liters per minute. Uh, studies done 100 years ago show that it was common for people to breathe around four, five liters of air per minute only. Whereas uh, ordinary people these days have about 12, so it's twice more than the norm. Whereas people who have health problems, it's generally somewhere around 15 liters per minute when people have mild, uh, moderate forms of uh, chronic health problems. So people breathe more. That's one kind of scientific uh, observation proven by hundreds of studies. But <laughs> practically what happens here, it's interesting, like there is kind of another psychological aspect of breath that uh, I spoke with thousands of people during my workshops, lectures, while teaching students, of course, as well, teaching practitioners that I do regularly. Uh, what happens, people believe, I would say, more than 90% of ordinary people, and I myself, like, let's say, 20 years ago, even with my PhD, uh, I had also belief that uh, when we breathe more air at rest, we get more oxygen. 
And when uh-huh. I started discovering the Buteyka technique originated in Russia, I, I myself Canadian, I live in Canada already for 24 years. So, but I have like a Russian accent. <laughs> Many people recognize that <laughs> you speak like a little differently. But uh, what, what I found that um, uh, lo- long time ago, uh, we briefing, uh, briefing uh, Buteyka briefing method, that actually the more people brief, the less oxygen we get in the body. And this is... How is that possible? Don't we hear all the time about how you need to breathe more and deeply and... Yes, yeah. Yeah, more deeply it's like one thing. But uh, uh, what happens here, again, in these studies, they measure our unconscious or automatic breathing, which is going on day and night by itself. So that's what we are particularly interested in breathing retraining. So we we are concerned what we want to change actually. We want to address this automatic unconscious breathing, which is of course quite a big challenge to make uh, permanent changes in the way we breathe. So it's not just doing some breathing exercise, which is one part. We can be good, can be useful, sometimes can can be useless. It depends. I would say most people probably do like pranayama, maybe some other exercises. But when we do not have an aim or goal, long-term goal, to make permanent changes in breath, usually we don't go anywhere. We just stay the same for years. But what we teach, uh, this is particularly like Buteyka breathing method. And in Russia, we have actually... 200 doctors who were trained by Dr. Buteyka. So Russia, most developed countries, uh, most developed country in the world in terms of number of medical practitioners, like professional doctors, who applied the Buteyka technique on one hand. And during last 20 years, we, de- we developed another technique with the application of the Frolov briefing device. And there are somewhere around, like I counted these people because we had conferences, we had so many clinical trials, around 30. Uh, some of them are trans- we, we translated, and this there are like so, somewhere around six, seven hundred doctors who apply, uh, recommend their patients again with asthma, heart disease, diabetes, many, many like common co- uh, health problems to apply the briefing device because it's easier to use and do not require a trainer or practitioner. So what happens, that happens in Russia, and uh, as I started to talk, one thing which we need to realize, like how we should breathe, what is the ideal way to get more oxygen, but going back to the question that you ask, how does it happen that when we breathe more air at rest, we get less oxygen? I can explain like uh, kind of from medical, scientific or physiological viewpoint. When we have normal briefing and medical, you can go on Wikipedia or, or go to medical library, find the textbook in medicine. They give you six liters a minute. Uh, we should take about 10, 12 breaths a minute. So it's very slow actually briefing pattern. Try to imagine 10, 12 breaths a minute. That means five, six seconds only. Five, six seconds for one breath. And we, we, sh- we are supposed to take somewhere about half liter of air. Like you can imagine, like a small bottle uh, of air right. for one breath, which is actually a very small amount. When people have normal breathing, and if you ask, what do you feel? In most cases, people would say, I would feel nearly nothing. Because it's so small, yes. people hardly notice it. And vice versa, when people are sick, they breathe again, like somewhere around two, three times more than the medical norm. Here, what happens, once with, uh, during normal breathing, our blood uh, saturation with oxygen is very high. It's usually around 98, 99%. There are rare cases when people have like COPD, ventilation, perfusion mismatch, like certain lung conditions, when the lungs do not w- work properly. 
And then VA blood saturation can be 90%. If it's less than 90, we may require oxygen, you know, like supplemental oxygen to breathe 100% oxygen at night and so on. But ordinary people, and that would be like 97% or more, 99%, have very high oxygen saturation at rest with normal breathing. And therefore, when people say take deeper breath, you are going to get more oxygen, already this idea is not correct because you already have 98, 99% of your hemoglobin uh, saturated with oxygen and therefore while taking uh, more breaths you would not be able to get more oxygen because it's already maximum saturation. So what happens with uh, deeper breathing we remove another gas carbon dioxide and it is known for probably about 150 years definitely 120 years there are studies like done in during first years when respirologists assigned appeared, first devices appeared, we started to measure all these parameters. We discovered that when people hyperventilate, this is how doctors call it, hyperventilation, breathing too yes. much. What happens, we remove carbon dioxide, and carbon dioxide, according to medical studies, there are literally dozens of such studies, which show that hyperventilation, uh, carbon dioxide is a powerful vasodilator. So it expands arteries and arterioles, improving uh, perfusion of blood flow or circulation of blood and of course oxygen uh, other nutrients they travel much easier throughout the body to the heart brain all vital organs uh, when we have normal breathing when we hyperventilate these blood vessels constrict and blood flow is reduced let's say somebody starts to hyperventilate like imagine heavy breathing through the mouth, taking maybe one breath every two seconds, and can, breaths can be big, two, three liters, like you take maybe half lungs, in, inflate with lungs. So what happens if such person hyperventilate for one minute, uh, oxygen content in the brain, and that was confirmed by numerous studies, is be, can be reduced by about twice. And this is the reason why most people are able to pass out or faint just by hyperventilation alone. So this is a scientific observation. Right. And, and I have noticed that people who, uh, many of the people I know who are obese, uh, they don't, when they breathe, it is a form of hyperventilation. In most cases, absolutely right. We would hyperventilate. We, we uh, usually breathe with upper chest. One thing, we yes. co can commonly breathe through the mouth during physical exercise and at night especially, very common for them. So when we breathe through the mouth, our, our carbon dioxide also falls. And the problem with chest breathing, uh, one of the biggest, uh, big problems, there are like two kind of independent effects. But one of them is, uh, imagine like when you take a breath with your diaphragm, diaphragm moves like a, a piston in a car engine. Imagine the diaphragm moves down and that means the whole volume of lungs is uh, provided with fresh oxygen, new oxygen. Whereas if you use only upper chest, the lower parts of the lungs do not get uh, oxygen. And at the same time, from physiology, it is known that the blood flow in the lungs is very inhomogeneous. Blood flow at the bottom of the lungs is somewhere around five, six times stronger than at the top of the lungs because of the gravity effect. And when you breathe through the chest, therefore, you do not supply oxygen for the most important part of your lung, which is the bottom of the lungs. And when you breathe with the diaphragm, or sometimes people can try maybe use abdominal muscles, because not all people, it's to use diaphragm, it's actually quite a challenge. And a uh, hundred years ago, it was common, according to medical studies, for people, so that the diaphragm would do somewhere around 90% of breathing, uh, contribute about 90% to breathing, to air exchange. Uh, 
And these days, uh, most people do not have diaphragmatic breathing, breathing all the time. They, they may have, have sometimes some periods, because most people would switch between chest and, uh, and diaphragm during the day. But uh, it would be still, of course, a big problem for their health, because when we use upper chest, again, oxygen saturation would drop in the blood, and that means we get less oxygen because of chest breathing. Even though with the chest breathing, we can have very large numbers for minute ventilation. We can breathe twice or three times more than the norm, but because we use upper chest, we don't get even enough oxygen. Right. Okay. So, is there? I, I've heard that if someone is not breathing using their diaphragm that they, when they breathe, you'll see their shoulders move. Is that, is it that simple in figuring out whether or not you're getting a full diaphragmatic breath? Well, uh, like uh, when I teach workshops and teach students, the practitioners, what, uh, what we suggest our students to do, uh, there are two simple exercises here. One very simple exercise is uh, like it's probably the simplest known exercise and anybody can do it even right now. What you can do, take one of your arm and put it on your upper chest, like near your uh, thymus, near your like solar plexus area, upper chest, and then put your an another arm on your navel or, or on your belly button. So what okay. happens next, I suggest you to take without thinking, very, very important, just don't uh, kind of, don't pay attention to your breath, just take a little bit deeper, slower breath, maybe take like two, three liters of air and monitor which of your arms are going to move more, lower or upper one, because usually it would be either one of them would have large, big amplitude of movements and that would tell you right away what type of breathing, unconscious breathing you have at this particular moment of time. So for modern people, as I mentioned, it would be very common to have that lower arm would not move at all or maybe very little and upper arm would move more. This is of course also uh, possible to notice just visually. You know, if you observe a person just for 10-20 seconds, you can see already that we have upper chest breathing. Although of course most people never pay attention to the way we breathe, it's kind of autom automatic uh, function, so which we do not address in real life. And uh, uh, so that would be exercise number one, which tells you about your unconscious breath. Now, the next exercise, what we teach to our students when we try to, again, walk on their breath and make changes in their breathing, is try to see if you can keep your upper arm relaxed without movements, so that all your inhalation, very slow inhalation, slow inhale, slow exhale, we don't need to hyperventilate, see that if you can move only your upper arm. And here situation, what we find in students very common that younger people, even in like in 20s and 30s, it's not a problem they can easily use with the abdominal or diaphragmatic breathing so that the, only the lower arm moves. But when people get older, especially women, because sometimes we have had probably decades of chest breathing, all the time only chest breathing, and of course for them it can be a big challenge to move the abdominal muscles or the diaphragm, like which are technically very difficult, different muscles. But for our purposes, when we do breath retraining, what we found, when students uh, get close to the medical norm for breath, somehow uh, the diaphragm naturally gets involved into the action and they develop a diaphragmatic, automatic diaphragmatic breathing uh, during uh, 24 p 7, like day and night. So we just don't need even to pay attention because somehow when normal physiology, normal breathing is restored, the body goes into diaphragmatic breathing by itself. 
So we see it like literally in hundreds of students. I do not remember actually a single case when following our program, students still had chest briefing when we already achieved a medical norm. So. Right. Okay. So in your program, uh, it's how long does the program take? Is it a specific amount of time? Do you do you recommend you know moving from one breath to another? I don't know, daily, weekly, monthly. Yes, yeah. What happens? Uh, briefing retraining actually is the biggest challenge that I find in uh, Western, of course, uh, around the world as well in Western students is to devote the time to breath retraining because uh, in order to make changes, like uh, let's say my requirement for a course. It would be 60, sometimes 90 minutes per day for briefing exercises, which can be with devices, but also can be meditation type exercises when you like trying to slow down your breath. So we, we are very similar to meditation and have uh, ad additional with uh, meditation related effect when we have mindfulness. So we, we pay attention to our breath only, relax all other body muscles and so on. So it's 60, 90 minutes per day for breath work. And here another interesting fact that physical exercise in this briefing program is kind of a, a very important but also tricky component. Why it is tricky? <laughs> what, what was found by Dr. Buteyko and his colleagues when we started this movement in 1960s and Buteyko was very famous, he was like um, one of the leading Soviet physiologists, he published about 70 papers in Russian literature in medicine and he was working actually as a top, one of the top doctors for spaceship research program. Because you remember in 1964, first man was sent in space and Butek was actually right. a manager of the respiratory laboratory who was created oh, gotcha. specifically for this purpose in Novosibirsk, like this is the third scientific center in Russia after Moscow, St. Petersburg, where we had an institute of medical research and he was working as a manager director of laboratory, had of course a lot of patients, best equipment from all over the world. And he studied briefing respiration for 10 years and made really very fundamental contribution in terms of noticing how sick people breathe, how healthy people breathe. And most importantly, he developed uh, this Buteyko briefing method, which includes many lifestyle factors related to sleep, diet, physical exercise, posture, thermoregulation, like all these factors which relate to the way we live, which is quite unusual for medicine because doctors are usually more interested in drugs, surgeries, like these approaches. But he actually, right. when he started his career during first years, he was trying all type of drugs <laughs> which reduce respiration. We are known as respiratory suppressants and there are many such drugs, but virtually all of them, and that's also include like many street drugs, you know, like those heroin and cocaine and others, we are powerful respiratory suppressants. And that's the reason why we, we actually often kill people because of the overdose, briefing stops completely and people die. So that, uh, oh, that, that's one okay. of the sides. A part of course from being toxic for liver, and so, so right. long-term use is not possible. So he tried for a long time and then he realized that with drugs it just does not work. And he like started to teach people how to change their lifestyle, how to pay attention to their breath, practice breathing exercises for hours. But going back to physical exercise, which is I, I started to talk about, it's a tricky part in a way that sick people are not able to do intensive or even moderate exercise. And what Butekov found by measuring this uh, breath of these people, he found that as soon as we open mouth, the whole biochemistry of the body changes dramatically. And we get less and less oxygen and we get more breathless with exercise and we feel commonly we would feel worse after physical exercise than with mouth breathing. 
And when he tested nose briefing as another alternative, which again like was common actually 100 years ago, if you look at the uh, Oxford Dictionary and look for the word mouth briefer, mouth briefer, according yes. to Oxford, old Oxford Dictionary, was a synonym with such words as moron, imbecile, stupid person. You <laughs> so, know, I was just about to say it's, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, that used to be an insult. If you really didn't like someone, you call them a mouth breather, right? <laughs> yeah, but I, I believe people are just much more observable than we are these days. And if this is well, it was also not as common back in those absolutely, days. Absolutely, so, absolutely, yeah. You know, we would, we, 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 we have an epidemic now. We, we would just feel that it's kind of, uh, we, we feel just something t horribly wrong is going on with this person when this person starts to breathe through the mouth. And actually in the past, we did not care if it happened either during physical exercise or sleep. <laughs> so all the time the mouth was supposed to be closed. Uh, of course, these days it's totally different and I know, uh, I would say like among sick people, hard to say exact statistic, but uh, even mouth breathing during sleep when we wake up and mouth is dry is exceptionally common. It's probably, I would say among severely sick, probably it would be up to 90% of our students exceptionally common and people with moderate health, of, uh, health problems when they maybe have little medication or just kind of developing uh, conditions. Uh, they have, it would be still like 60-70%, very high percentage of them have mouth breathing at night and during daytime and when we try physical exercise. So going back to physical exercise, uh, it's actually hard for, uh, for sick people to do physical exercise because their bodies have too little oxygen. And when we start rigorous exercise, moderate intensity exercise, the oxygen reserves become so low that instead of aer aerobic use of oxygen, aerobic metabolism, which commonly take place when we are healthy, we have anaerobic mechanism. And that leads to accumulation of lactic acid. People feel much more pain after physical exercise, takes much longer time to recover. So there are a list of negative effects caused by anaerobic uh, respiration, too much accumulation of lactic acid. So in Buteki developed method when he found that not only nose breathing is beneficial, like people feel better, but it also nearly completely prevents all type of exacerbations because actually thousands of people die these days from exercise. And, and if, if you saw different like marathon runs or 10 kilometers against cancer we have, like all these walks and so on, Yes. There are always ambulances around and we are absolutely right, right because a uh, few people may actually collapse. People have asthmus, uh, status asthmaticus, so-called, you know, people die from asthma attack, people die right. from epilepsy, right. yeah, seizures, heart attacks, strokes. They commonly happen because again, thousands of them die either during exercise or immediately after exercise as an effect of physical exercise. But Buteyko and his doctors, they discovered that when people have nose briefing, virtually all these cases disappear. They become safe because first of all, people cannot do too intensive exercise when they are sick. So we have to slow down to keep nose briefing. And that allows them to get all benefits of physical exercise in a totally safe way. There is only a small group of people whom I know for whom even nose briefing, uh, going outside, for example, doing exercise with nose briefing can still be dangerous. And this, is, this small group are asthmatics because the airways are inflamed. So when we go and there is a cold air outside, like maybe freezing temperatures, and we start to breathe through the nose intensively, we can exacerbate the inflammation. 
and they can get get more inflammation because of that after exercise and they would feel worse so for this group of people maybe having a scarf if it's cold outside but if it's warm weather normal conditions it does not happen so it's possible for them also to do exercise outdoors if it's warm conditions so but another part of exercise of course it's a burden it's hard to go, you know, one, two hours exercise and three hours exercise as our students do. And what happens during our briefing course when we start, we start with very slowly with maybe let's say one hour of walking per day as a daily re requirement. But when people improve their breath, and again, I had hundreds of such students who get uh, up to medical norm and uh, a lot of students, practitioners uh, uh, I trained who would get even slower briefings than the medical norm. So people can reduce their breath even, let's say, twice less than the medical norm. And in this stage, uh, amazing thing happens with this physical exercise. People start to crave physical exercise. <laughs> so mm -hmm. somehow breathing retraining leads to so much oxygen in the body that as 100 years ago, people actually uh, complaints about fatigue were very uncommon 100 years ago because people had a lot of labor. And again, breathing was so slight and little that people had plenty of oxygen, meaning that they were actually able to do physical exercise for many hours uh, per day. And that was common before invention of computers, uh, cars that we have these days, which limit our ability to exercise. So people start to crave exercise and that allows them later to maintain or keep the uh, easy uh, light breath and super health for years and years. So this is how the kind of the long-term program of briefing retraining works that people start little by little with physical exercise and we of course do such things as a correction of sleep factors. It's a very big topic because for 90% of people actually the worst time uh, when they get worse problems with their breath uh, happens during sleep. So we can maybe talk a little bit later about this topic as well because there are so many uh, sleep related factors which are crucial in order to not just retrain even breath, but just, just even to have good health and to, to achieve progress with weight loss as well, with control of blood sugar. So all these factors strongly relate to sleep as well. Right. You know, I, so many questions actually come to mind as you speak. Uh, the first would probably be, you know, how does this, because a lot of people are into, let's say, yoga. How does your breathing techniques, how does it mirror or completely fly in the face of, uh -huh. of the yogic breath? You know, is there any connection there? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, one of my Amazon books, it's actually called... Um, just a second. My, um, okay, one of my yoga books on Amazon... <laughs> Yeah, yoga. Be yeah, just I, I forgot the title of my book because I wrote it. I wrote it years ago, and I had like so uh, ten books now in total. Yoga benefits are in briefing class. This is the title of my book. <laughs> so I just right. recovered because I remember it was like kind of reflect the idea. So if we think about yoga, uh, I studied uh, several Sanskrit texts. Some of them uh, were written 500, 400 years ago, some of them 2,000 years ago. So you can imagine very old, uh, very old ancient yoga kind of science, what we were found, discovered. And uh, what found, we, we, we do not have any mentioning at all in this yoga Sanskrit text, any idea about deep breathing. All the ideas about breath relates to basically breathing slower and less to restrict, to control, to slow down our breath. 
all, all these quotes, I have so many of them from this textbook, just showing exact quotes what we uh, wrote in these books and also then I studied uh, what happens during recent times and I found books which were written in yoga let's say 100 years ago, 70 years ago, we still keep this idea and uh, what you can find here in this uh, like particular area yoga that in the past up to probably about 70 years ago the main part of yoga were the briefing exercises. And the main part, we have two types of exercises, which are slow, long exercises, pranayama type, alternate nose breathing, you know, take deep, slow inhale, hold your breath, then twice long exhale, then again hold your breath, we have like several versions of pranayama, and plus postures or asanas. So postures or asanas were secondary. And uh, ancient yoga textbooks, ancient yoga Sanskrit books, they say that the, you start to improve your health with yoga, if during pranayama you can have slower and slower cycles. Let's say like somebody who is a beginner takes breath in, slow deep breath takes 4 seconds, then we hold breath 4 seconds, then we exhale for 8 seconds and hold 4 breath. So we have this cycle. But if you practice it for a week, you should be able to go to the next stage. And to have it 5 seconds, let's say inhale, 5 seconds breath hold, 10 seconds exhale. So all these stages are going to expand, become longer in time. And that means you actually accumulate more and more carbon dioxide and you will be able to do this progress if your automatic breathing also gradually changes. If you start to breathe slower and slower and slower and eventually, like if you're a real yoga master, you should be able to practice pranayama, let's say, for 20 minutes while doing only one breath in two minutes. Imagine one breath in two minutes. Wow. That's, that's wow. a yoga, yoga master and, and, and I know because... Uh, Again, our best students are able, we tested pranayama many times when people start, of course, we breathe quite uh, fast, you know, just, uh, let's say, two, three breaths a minute, quite frequently. Whereas, of course, when students progress, we slow down their breath to such a degree that having very slow pranayama, exactly as ancient yoga books, uh, becomes possible. But uh, going back to history of yoga, uh, during the last 50 years, it changed dramatically. And I would say I, I, I took probably about 15, 20 very like, most popular common uh, books on yoga uh, recent, uh, re written again during the last uh, 30, 40 years. And I discovered that virtually all of them have such quotes that uh, deep breathing is good for health and meaning that breathing more air is good for health. And carbon dioxide is toxic waste gas, which like physiologically does not make any sense at all because carbon dioxide has at least probably, I would say, about 10 uh, important physiological functions, but one of them I already mentioned, and this one alone, is like it, it provides oxygen, you know, and there are hundreds of reactions in the body that require oxygen. So as soon as we get hypoxic, we get less and less oxygen in the brain, in the heart. Heart attack, it's one factor only. The angina pain during heart attack caused by a single factor. It's a lack of oxygen in the heart muscle. All cancer tumors develop in conditions, only in conditions of hypoxia. You have to have low oxygen level in organ in order for this organ to start to develop malignant cells, large lumps, and later become a cancer. So, and if we look at many other conditions, diabetes, many others, uh, asthma, of course, and so on, when, when paramedics arrive into a person, we, we often have no clue what is going on. It can be epilepsy, heart attack, stroke, anything, COPD attack. What we first give, we give oxygen because most people, the overwhelming majority of people, when there are exacerbations, they die from 
lack of oxygen either in the heart or in the brain. And this is the reason why paramedics are right. They are able to save thousands of lives just with giving oxygen. But again, this would not happen if in the first place these people do not have that heavy breathing. So, and that uh, again tells about importance of carbon dioxide. And so going back to yoga, very few people teach yoga these days. And these days, asanas uh, and postures, they are much more uh, dominant. And they maybe sprinkle yoga courses with a little bit of pranayama, breathing, alternate nose, fire breath, like bastika, different uh, breathing exercises. But the problem is that, first of all, the breathing is not, does not play the central role. That's not problem number one. And problem number two is we, we do not have a goal to change this pranayama practice, for example, so that with time we have progress in pranayama exactly as uh, ancient Sanskrit texts require. Right. So how do you look at something like uh, isometric exercises where, oh. you know, you're taking in a deep breath, maybe holding it for, I don't know, seven, ten seconds while doing a particular posture to uh, theoretically get oxygen to the muscles? Mm -hmm. You mean uh, yoga asanas, yeah, postures, for example? Well, not necessarily. I mean, it's, it's, it, you can consider some of the postures, I'm sure, cross over. Uh, but, uh, there's just straight up, um, uh, what they call isometric exercise mm -hmm. where you would hold, for example, uh, let's say, yeah, I guess they do do this in, in, uh, things like, like, like yoga where uh -huh. you might hold a strap and you pull it as far apart, like a belt, you know, hold mm -hmm. it as far apart as you can with two fists and hold your breath while you're doing that. And that's supposed to put oxygen into those yes muscles, yeah right? absolutely yeah uh, what happens here um, when people do different uh, types of forms of physical exercise and including isometric exercise for example or yoga postures uh, uh, the very first requirement that we uh, found and dr buteka of course his doctors uh, found uh, useful and necessary or crucial important is to have 100 percent nose breathing so we don't uh, take in through the nose, out through the mouth, as most fitness instructors, for example, suggest, and coaches, and so on. Uh, we teach people the probably the hardest way, <laughs> in and out, only through the nose. But at the same time, I'm absolutely certain that this is the most beneficial way. I myself was a very like athletic guy, especially during my student year, when I was PhD student, postgraduate, uh, when I studied in Moscow University. And uh, I, I just I kind of did not pay, pay, pay much attention to nose-mouth briefing. And of course, I know that from sport performance viewpoint, if, if I would start only nose briefing, my sport performance would be a little bit worse. So and somebody who is more sick, it probably would be, we need to slow down a lot. You see, we cannot run that fast. We cannot keep the pace, for example. Right. But at the same time, if we look at people who are super healthy, and this is I found years later, of course, when we... Testing our best students and practitioners that when they go for super intensive or maximum intensity exercise and let's say maybe even five ten kilometers run or something similar very intensive rigorous exercise they, they, they report me all the time that if they keep first of all it's natural for them to breathe only through the nose and if they try to open mouth the results is is not going to improve it does not help them why because we already have very light slow breathing at rest and therefore, during physical exercise, we also have proportionally less breathing. 
Now, while watching Olympic Games, World Championships, I did it for many years, and recently I was looking in London, uh, some Olympic Games. I found there are so many African people, uh, native, mm -hmm. like, who grew up in Africa. Winning, of course, we are, like, genetically, we are much more, uh, much more competitive, stronger in these athletic exercises, and it can be, like, 100% African people, which is totally fine. But what happens, a lot of them, Sometimes Olympic, sometimes champions, maybe gold, silver, silver, bronze medal. They brief 100% all the race, and it can be 10 kilometers, can be marathon, which is two hours, a little bit more than two hours. They brief 100% through the nose, right from the beginning to the end. They never open their mouth. And wow. that happens because of habit, training, culture, where we grew up. So, and right. again, 100 years ago, when people had so light briefing, that's also why we have this mouth briefer, you know, like the slant, like to use to, to criticize maybe a person in a way to like suggest him right. to, to, to change a habit. So what happens here is that uh, for when sick people start this exercise, we suggest them to have 100% nose briefing. This is first stage. Once we get somewhere around, we do a special test which uh, we call body oxygen test. It's also breath holding time test, where we measure in exact, exactly in seconds how much is the oxygen content of the person. And when we achieve certain level, this is like 20 seconds, uh, this is like the border we use, people are able to start more intensive exercise, such as jogging with 100% nose breathing. And when people start to do this type of exercise, what we teach next to them, during physical activity. We teach them not only nose briefing, but also uh, to try to apply techniques how to slow down the breath, to do reduced breathing exercise together with physical exercise, and also, as you exactly mentioned, to combine it with breath holds. Because breath holds also accumulate carbon dioxide. And uh, so when people accumulate carbon dioxide, that expands blood vessel. Now, the problem here is that many people try too hard. So imagine you hold your breath, you got air hunger, you feel like suffocation, you know, then you try to breathe little. It's possible. People can breathe if they try really hard, let's say like twice less than they usually do. So let's say you sit, you like do a certain amount, uh, you, you, you would normally breathe a certain amount of air, but if you apply efforts, you can breathe twice less, that would create very strong air hunger. It can be so strong that for some people it can cause maybe headaches, people with high blood pressure can develop stronger blood pressure, panic attacks people can develop problems. So it's a little bit risky for people who are sick. And therefore we teach them to have very light air hunger at initial stages of breath retraining. And if they can do it during physical exercise, if, if they are able to do it, that is also beneficial for them. So not only nose briefing, but as a next stage we would teach them how to have a slight air hunger reduce breath during physical exercise and we notice if people are able to do that during the 30 minutes workout 60 minutes workout for example we notice they recover much faster so it's easier to recover and there are actually medical studies which i found totally the same for interval training for professional athletes when we ask them to breathe through the nose and to do breath holds we just recovery accumulation of lactic acid becomes less so we recover faster less muscle pain so there are many beneficial effects of this uh, technique during physical exercise. And when the people progress even to uh, more advanced levels, when we achieve medical norm and we start to breathe even less than the medical norm, we teach them to do breath holds during physical exercise many, many times 
So even during running, for example, they can hold breath, let's say, uh, seven, ten seconds, because of course it's much harder. Our metabolism is uh, many, many times larger, and because of that, of course, breath holding is totally different during physical exercise in comparison with uh, sitting at rest. Right. Now, how do you feel about, because you're talking about breathing in and holding that breath. Uh, how do you feel about things like uh, the Wim Hof method, where you hold your breath on the exhalation? No. So you exhale everything out of the lungs and then hold for as long as you can. What, what does that fit in? Uh, that's like kind of, there are two parts here. One part is, uh, usually we would suggest our students to hold our breath after usual exhale. So you have usual exhale, not complete exhalation. And that means you still have two, two and a half liters of air left in your lungs when you have usual exhale. So our lungs are we're never empty. And at this moment of time, we hold our breath. So this is how we do measurements of our body oxygen, body, so-called body oxygen test I mentioned. And uh, during physical exercise, during some briefing exercises, we do also the same technique. Holding breath on inhalation, it's, it gives you a better time, of course. So you kind of get better number, better result. But it, in terms of health, it's a, it's a little bit uh, what, what Boteca, I believe, found many decades ago, and I agree with, with his approach completely, that uh, holding breath on inhalation, it can be stressful because your body is a little bit stressed. And when you exhale completely, you are totally relaxed. Well, like, imagine, like I, I would say it to a person, relax all your body muscles completely. Your chest, your breathing muscles, your shoulders. So what happens? People have a little outhale. We have spontaneous natural exhalation, which is quite small. And then we okay. teach them, okay, now let's hold your breath because that's most relaxed state of your body. And Buteyko, when he was asked once, like by a reporter, by a journalist uh, decades ago, <laughs> we, we, the reporter asked him, can you describe me your breathing exercises? People say that your system is so difficult to learn. What should I do? to practice it. And Buteyko uh, replied, well, the exercise is very simple. You, you, should, you should not do anything. So just do nothing. Don't even breathe. <laughs> so so <laughs> with the idea is actually we try to slow down our breath during Buteyko. It's called Buteyko reduced breathing exercise. The main exercise of his method is by taking a smaller, shorter inhalation, then in order to exhale, we just relax. And then we try to stay relaxed for longer time without breathing. So for sick people, it uh, can be either too hard or impossible because we breathe too frequently, we cannot do it. So we have small inhale, relax, exhale, and we would have non-stop breathing, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale, maybe 15, 20 breaths a minute. But when you get healthier and healthier, well, can our like advanced students can have maybe five breaths you know, a minute with, uh, with having literally like tiny, tiny inhale, then we exhale for five seconds, seven seconds, ten seconds, depending on the level that we achieved. And that also reflects that we have a lot of oxygen to, to, to do this exercise. So we do uh, these inhalations on these breath holds after usual exhale. And, and that's about the Wim Hof method you ask about. Uh, yes. Well, Wim Hof method, uh, it's kind of a little tricky because it not only involves uh, breath holding on uh, after a complete exhalation, but Wim Hof method uh, employs also hyperventilation, and then we yes. sub submerge into cold water, 
and then we hold breath in water. So it's kind of a tricky, <laughs> physiologically, a really complex picture is going on because cold water by itself is exceptionally beneficial factor for uh, people ex with exception of sick and severely sick people. So this, that's actually part of the Bouteika method because what was Bouteika teaching and you can find a video from our YouTube channel where Bouteika was swimming in snow himself. So, uh, and he was teaching. That doesn't sound good to me. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, and I, I can explain. Absolutely, tropics, absolutely right. I, because I actually had a lot of students who were trying cold shower with disastrous results. They just get infection, sinus infection, most likely respiratory infection next day, feel miserable, a lot of yellow green mucus and so on. And anytime we call, try cold shower, that is going to happen. What Buteke discovered, when people are sick, and that is going on until the same, like I would say, it's magic number of 20 seconds for the body oxygen test that we use. So when people have less than 20 seconds for body oxygen test, nearly all of them are going to get respiratory infection if we try cold shower or ice cold shower or Wim Hof method. So therefore, what Buteka found that sick people are not supposed to be at all, they should, they should keep themselves uh, either normal or comfortably even a little bit warm. So then we are okay. Because the immune system is so suppressed because of hypoxia, low oxygen level, that as soon as we experience tiny overcooling, maybe even sitting you know, on cold air when the wind blows and so on, for a few minutes, we just can get an infection. But when we recover their health and we get already 20 plus, and this is what we teach in our course, it may take some weeks of time usually for average student, then cold shower becomes super beneficial. And that's the reason why all Russian doctors, when we teach a briefing retraining course to their patients, like medical doctors, we all would teach how to safely use cold shower to get all benefits of cold water. And to, because it becomes, uh, in Russia, we would teach the method to, uh, with this cold shower, uh, cold shower application, so that this cold shower application is actually a crucial, very important part of the technique. But oh, it, gotcha. it's again suitable. Uh, what we find in, uh, now is super healthy students, and this is I hear all the time from a very healthy, those who get like to medical norm and even less than the medical norm, we start to enjoy cold shower. We say, I crave it. I, it so, feels such a nice, pleasant feel afterwards for uh, sometimes four hours. We take like three minutes, four minutes, uh, really cold shower, and we feel like super great for a long, long time. So we enjoy it. But when you are sick, it's absolutely true. I, I've heard these stories from so many students. We, we try cold shower, and we just um, we may try it several times, and it's always disaster. Very few people I met, like maybe kind of seals, you know, like seals, you know, who started cold adaptation in early childhood. And they use like cold water, going to swim in ice, you know, like when uh, rivers and lakes frozen, like go swimming there. These people, sometimes they have quite low results for body oxygen, but because of years of training, and when we started long time ago, we somehow do not get any infection. So somehow the body immune system adapted long time ago, but these are rare cases when cold is so easy to take. Right. Okay. So... What about, because you, you did talk a lot about breathing through the nostrils mm -hmm. uh, versus through the mouth, and you know, I totally get that, but what about the people who can't for physical reasons? Because from my standpoint, uh, there are people who they just didn't develop properly. 
Um, and this is one of the reasons why mouth breathing was always associated with someone who was a little dimwitted, uh, criminals, you know, just people who were not um, maybe exemplary of, of being healthy, intelligent individuals. We even see this now, like on the news, you know, you don't, you don't see newscasters who have really pinched narrow faces. You tend to see people with like a very yes. wide palate oh, yeah. where they can, you know, and you can see that they're, they can breathe and you can hear it in their voice. So what about the people who can't, they, they physically cannot breathe through their nostrils because there's not a big enough airway passage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How yes. do these people benefit? Yeah, that, that can have the apple. Yeah, it can be deviated septum, can be muscle right. vegetation, can be severe sinusitis. So there are like several conditions which can lead to complete nasal blockage, or maybe the nasal passages are blocked to such a degree that, for example, as soon as we go to sleep, we open mouth right away. So that's, exactly. uh, of course, yeah, that can happen. Now, in these uh, cases, of course, first of all, these people, yeah, as, as you mentioned correctly, that would be different groups of people who already have like uh, moderately serious or serious health problems. And that's usually going on for years. Now, if we try briefing retraining, for example, what would be the approach that we use? Uh, I, I use a, an approach which do not use only Buteyka briefing technique, which I like uh, super, I, I, I include in my course, in my program, uh, all methods and techniques which Buteyka developed. But uh, since it was mostly 60s, 70s and partially 80s, 90s, when Buteyka was developing his technique, like modifying his method, trying different briefing exercises, duration, intensities, and so on. Uh, I also apply briefing devices and several other techniques which I developed myself uh, during this uh, nearly, how many, 17 years ago I started briefing retraining myself and teaching classes, courses uh, virtually uh, quite quite quickly. What, uh, what happens that uh, we need to, uh, if we apply briefing devices, for example, which I mentioned already about Frollo briefing device and a large group of doctors who teach it right now in Russia, and they have also Breath Slim, one of the popular devices which we advertise in in United States and Canada. Breath Slim, like you know, Breath Slim is the name even you know, like you have to, right. you can slim with breath, and actually hundreds, probably thousands of people already achieved really good results with this. So uh, what happens with people who have total nasal blockage? We can apply briefing devices. And even if we try Buteyka, because some other practitioners, some of my colleagues I know, people still are able to do reduced briefing, to brief less, even if the uh, nose completely blocked. So we can slow down the mouth breathing first, and that allows them to accumulate carbon dioxide. Now, what happens when we accumulate more carbon dioxide? Carbon dioxide dilates airways, and it also has effect on the dilation and normalization of structure of nasal passages as well. So, according to Buteyka, for example, sleep apnea and the de development of nasal vegetation, nasal polyps, like different these abnormalities which are present in nose, these, according to Buteyka, are nature mechanism to protect the body from losses of carbon dioxide. So the body kind of, you know, when you're breathing too much, the body tries to block your nose to restrict, but people, instead of breathing less, they just open their mouth and that right. leads to problems. So therefore, when people have uh, se severe problems on nose is completely blocked, 
we apply different techniques which gradually allow them. It's hard to tell again, totally depends on the case because sometimes, yeah, we've seen people who have already ears of mouth breathing, so we know this was completely blocked for a very long time. And then, of course, it's quite a challenge. It may take weeks of time before even, even light, maybe one, two weeks' time. Depends, again, on the age of the person, how much we practice, several factors are involved. But eventually, virtually in all cases, I know we are able to uh, gradually start light nose briefing. Then, of course, for sleep, we teach a technique developed by patients, not by Dr. Buteik, but his patients. In 1960s, we apply so-called mouth taping technique which is exceptionally powerful in terms of really have to, very big change in well-being in the morning. So those people who wake up in the morning and that feel that the uh, mouth is dry, they require usually to drink water, they just feel that mouth is dry. We usually, of course, breathe through the mouth at night. And that is, as I mentioned, very common in severely sick people and moderately sick people. And then what happens here is that we can apply mouth taping technique and that immediately gives like literally hundreds of testimonials I've heard from our students. We love the techniques because it's, it does not require any time. You go to a pharmacy, you know, buy 3M micropore, ordinary like surgical tape. Take a stretch of tape about one inch, like two, two and a half, three centimeters long. And you can put it if you, it depends again on the person's situation. Some people put it across the uh, lips. So you can okay. need a little bit Vaseline or some oil, you know, so that the tape is not, uh, does not stick too much to your lips because lips are sensitive, you know, can be difficult to remove, uh, to separate in the morning. Uh, some people can poof on the side, like half mouth can be on left or right side of the mouth. So sometimes people have maybe too much fear, really happens. Then we teach them you can put a tape actually on your cheeks, all the way like from, from upper cheek to lower cheek, a long stretch, maybe up to like uh, two inches, maybe a little longer. And then you put also the piece of tape under your chin. And that keeps your whole chin, it's a walk similar to chin straps, you know, chin straps are like so many of them on Amazon and you can read good reviews for people, sleep apnea, people, uh, very powerful technique. But even again, those who, any, any, any person who has dry mouth uh, in the morning and is able to go to sleep with a taped mouth or use other techniques, we immediately experience great, great benefits of the technique. We just feel uh, brain works better, we have more energy, and it's a bunch of, uh, a long list of physiological, uh, good physiological effects that take place, because sleep by itself is a crucial part of our health. And uh, if you want, I can maybe discuss of this part uh, related to sleep, so we, since we like started... Yeah, actually, we're, we're coming up on an hour. Um, what I was going to ask you is um, if you could uh, actually take, uh, we can talk about sleep, but I'd like you to uh, take, walk us through one of your, your, your um, breathing exercises that you use for weight loss. Uh, and, you know, take your time to, to walk us through it and explain to us what's happening in each step and, you know, what's happening to the physiology, the blood, you know, hormones and things like that as, as we walk through it. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, here, what, uh, it's like a little bit more complex topic because just even to explain a first briefing exercise, it takes me it takes me about an hour when I start a course with our students <laughs> to explain, and I can, I can I can explain why because uh, like to apply a simple briefing exercise, for example, to unblock the nose 
or to stop coughing, to stop asthma attack. I have a great videos, uh, great videos on YouTube, and some of them have half million views. We have so many likes, and you can read literally like hundreds of testimonials of people when we apply a simple breathing exercise, and it immediately gives you in literally one two minutes gives really good results. People feel how it works. And this, this is why people love briefing and they feel there is actually much more hidden in that. Because what, we had, what is the difference here is when we apply a simple briefing exercise, this is just a temporary fix. It's a great fix, people love it. But what I was talking before already about, it's not just briefing exercise that we want. We want to make a permanent changes in our oxygen content in the body. Oh, so for sure. That's the purpose. And that is, gets much more complex for the following reason. You can find also how to do Bottega reduced briefing and so on. But what Bottega found, there are many groups of people for whom briefing exercises can be dangerous. And this is the reason why, for example, I myself would not teach it unless I know that all these safety-related factors, all these contraindications and so on, they are all addressed. For example, right. I can give you an example because some yes. uh, some some reactions. Yeah, and and can, I'm glad that you're bringing this up because that's actually on my list of questions. Yes, yeah. So, some, you know, some, who are the people who need to proceed slowly? Exactly. Some situations can be actually exceptionally dangerous. For example, what can happen with a woman who is pregnant? If this woman mm -hmm. starts to practicing uh, start to practice breathing exercises quite intensively and she was uh, quite sick, she would have like let's say some pollution inside your body. What happens when practicing breathing exercises at the level of let's say 90 minutes, two hours, three hours per day, as some students do, I know we had many such students as well, they can experience a severe, they commonly experience a very strong cleansing reaction which can take place in one week time, maybe two weeks time, quite soon. And during this reaction, we excrete a lot of toxins from the body. Like, let's say, when I started myself 17 years ago, my urine became nearly black, like brown color. I never seen something oh like this for two days. It was horrible. Like, oh it, it, it's awful. Yeah, yeah I, I was coughing out from my sinuses, a lot of chunks, which were like four years, very old mucus, green, yellow, came out from my, from my um, nose. Uh, so my father, when I had, for example, cleansing reaction, he had blisters all over his body because he had severe hypertension when I taught him this technique. And we had all type of stories. People can have asthmatics. They start to cough out this old phlegm mucus, which we kept for years in their lungs. So, but going back to the, uh, this pregnant woman, if she starts uh, briefing exercises, practicing intensively, uh, what can happen, and this is what Buteka probably found, because I don't know how otherwise he would know about that, that uh, these women actually exp experience spontaneous abortion. The body somehow recognizes the body, the fetus of, the of the, her child as a foreign body with too much toxicity. And the right. body reacts with uh, spontaneous abortion. So there is like pregnancy termination. And that's of course a disaster. It's not healthy to have it because if the same woman progress slowly, that does not take place. You see during first trimester, the fetus is not attached to the body of the mother. And that means right. pregnancy is relatively easy to take place. So that's the reason during first trimester. And that's only one example. Other example, let's say somebody has hypertension. And when we do breath holds, when we practice like uh, uh, intensive uh, breathing exercises, the blood pressure can skyrocket. 
So it's quite dangerous. People with migraine, some of them can develop migraine headaches. For people with panic attacks, it's very common to develop even a simple breath holding, like 15-20 seconds breath hold doing a test can lead to development of panic attacks. So for many hours, they would feel worse afterwards. So we need to apply something more gentle, something more moderate in terms of uh, to start with but once we achieve yes. little bit better level we are totally fine we can do breath holds we can practice regular exercises so there are situations and groups of people and that's the reason why i see myself even it's a bit unprofessional uh, when practitioners try to explain breathing exercise right away without talking about these cases because i believe health should be for everybody like i could do i, I believe like 90 percent of people would be totally fine but still we need to uh, explain that what are the exact situation and when people practice too much it's possible even for ordinary people to develop certain let's say loss of co2 sensitivity uh, effect so we can have vasoconstriction, the heart rate can get very, very high, even though the breath would be improving, but the cardiovascular system, sometimes nervous system, are not able, autonomic nervous system, are not able to adapt to changes in breathing so fast. So it's also possible right. to develop certain other conditions. That's the reason why, uh, like when we start again, like uh, it takes me a while to explain and boutique exercise, it's quite a challenge to teach. I've been teaching that for, uh, I would say, for first probably about 12 years, because before I did not uh, know and did not apply breathing devices. But somewhere around seven years ago, when I discovered it, like this, another second movement, also in Russia, of this, again, hundreds of doctors who apply the Frollo breathing device, I started uh, to use, uh, like, buying boxes of Frollo devices to my students and testing how it works. And I found just it much easier for students to start with breathing devices because it's so easy to practice. And results, like if we measure changes in one week, two weeks time, are much better, significantly, probably 50-70% better than for original Buteyka method. So therefore, like when we teach our course, we start with breathing devices. And later, after two, three weeks, our students start to learn Buteyka exercises, which are also technically the most difficult, one of the most difficult known breathing exercises. Because with Buteyka, like I can give you an idea so that you can imagine, with breathing devices, you can take big, big breaths, you know, in and out, because the device is going to keep your carbon dioxide, your CO2. When you exhale, right. the device keeps it there. So when you take inhalation, you get it back. So in, in a way, it's a foolproof way, unless you, like, you deliberately hyperventilate into device, then you can, would not get benefits. But otherwise, it's a really nice and easy method to start with. But for Buteyka exercise, it's totally opposite. Imagine you have a breathing pattern, in, out, in, out. So for Buteyka exercise, you need to slow down your breath, taking your inhalation a little bit less than you would usually do. Let's say 10, 20% less. And if you breathe 10% less, you're going to accumulate a hunger. So the, and that's how the Buteyka exercise function. You need to, for 20, 30 minutes, to sustain this air hunger so that your breathing center would be re reset to higher carbon dioxide level so that like for many hours later, your breathing is going to be retrained due to this single breathing session. So this is how it works. But practically with students, again, we do many other tests. We do all our students measure heart rate. All our students measure their breath holding time, body oxygen test before the session and after the session because we want to see all these numbers. And I always review our students. I ask if you practice correctly, you should get warm feet and warm hands because your improved mm -hmm. circulation is noticed by body literally in one, two minutes. And that's a sign 
that your circulation is improved and your cardiovascular system uh, reacts in a positive way to the briefing exercise that we do. So we have uh, right. all these uh, changes in symptoms in people. And that allows us to say that, okay, now looks like you, this session was correct. So you can do another 10 sessions at home. And if this uh, most of like, let's say nine of out of 10 sessions are good, then I know the student is on a good track. And then we can start addressing all these lifestyle factors related, related to physical exercise, sleep, diet, thermoregulation, posture, and so on. So when you do your classes, are they uh, group classes, individual, yes, online, yeah. in person? Yes, yeah. I teach people on Skype as well. And uh, I, uh, when I, I travel a lot, I teach practitioners a lot. And I would say most of my work, like I, I now 100% like <laughs> in briefing with my 10 books, uh, 160 videos on YouTube channel uh, and the uh, website, uh, normal briefing has about 500 pages. We started it 10 years ago. So virtually all pages were created by me. And the last uh, three years, we have already 150 pages translated on Spanish. So we can flick, if you click on a Spanish flag on some pages, you can get to the Spanish version of site. And it has now about the same traffic, like 200,000 visitors every month, quite a big traffic for a health website. And we have also German site, which is only one year old and 50 pages. And we get like 1,000 already visitors every day on the German site. So there is a German flag also in addition on some of the pages. So that's kind of some of the projects. And we have plans like, of course, to make Udemy courses and uh, several other things, a couple of books. I want to have already one book ready, Buteyko lecture, like his original uh, presentation to the Moscow University scientists, which he did like a long time in 1969, explaining his technique, what discoveries he made and so on. So that's about uh, like uh, what I do and what type of activities. But people can learn, it depends again what, uh, how deeply, how well they want to learn the technique. So if somebody has simple asthma, simple, we, I call them, we call them simple because it's so easy to address and success rate according to even clinical Western trials, which Australia, New Zealand, UK, Canada, we had during the last 15 years, success rate is very high. Asthmatics are able to reduce medication by about 90%. So you can imagine like when there are like groups of 30, 50, even more like 70 asthmatics and we apply this technique practicing about an hour per day. So in somewhere in about uh, three months, six months later, the medication intake is dramatically less, like 10 times less medication. You can imagine people, of course, most people uh, do not, that means that most people don't use any medication at all. So it has quite high success rate. In my experience, again, the hardest part is to make the change. When people have the, this change in the automatic briefing results are very spectacular, like in terms of having good energy. Weight loss, I, I, I for years, and my colleagues as well, like teaching in Australia, especially England, because certain countries, it started to develop much earlier. Australia, New Zealand, England, Ireland, and Canada, United States, they pick up very recently. I would say like last 10 years only, many new practitioners started to appear who teach this technique. But again, going back, like how you can learn, you can find a Bottega practitioner if you want to get rid of your simple condition and conditions would be asthma, sinusitis, bronchitis, um, even sleep apnea, for example, or somebody who have 
uh, maybe something related to, let's say, cystic fibrosis, uh, people who have overweight problem. We even do, do not did not advertise it for a very long time. And recently I had like some videos done on weight loss because it was it has always been a very nice side effect of this technique. And uh, I've seen it already from my early, early years when students start to practice. We just notice themselves, we have more energy and we have less hunger. Whatever diet we have, even without addressing these uh, dietary factors, we notice just breath retraining alone allows them to lose weight very nicely, naturally, easily. I had, actually remember certain students who practiced uh, really intensively, let's say up to two hours of breathing exercises, three hours of breathing exercises. Uh, they would say to me, I don't eat anything for three days already. Just drink water and I feel totally fine. Like, what is wrong going on with me? So, and so we explain, of course, like you lose weight, of course, eventually you start eating because your body hunger would develop later, like once you get your normal weight. Like what happens with breathing exercise is the tricky part. I have this effect also explained in books and for practitioners. <laughs> it's uh, when people practice correct breathing exercise and imagine somebody who is overweight and trying to do even a breath hold. So what happens with this person? Let's say it's safe to take breath hold and maybe to have air hunger, you know, try to breathe less, like accumulate carbon dioxide. These people actually feel hot. I don't know, it's, it's, it's so exceptionally common. If you ask an overweight person, we do now breath hold and so on, how do you feel? I feel warm, I feel hot. And if you hyperventilate, you feel cold. So you need to eat more. <laughs> so you see, you understand the idea, yeah? So that's the reason why uh, our students, when we finish session, like uh, people who are overweight, we do 20, 30 minute session. We have a lot of energy. We feel hot. And we need to take away jump, jump sweater, jumper, whatever we have, just to be in a t-shirt. Because we feel so hot after briefing session. And of course, it makes sense that we don't have, uh, we don't have desire to eat. And as an uh, opposite situation, it's not so common these days, but we had students who are underweight, you know, maybe 10 kilograms, people lose weight, sometimes it's liver problems, sometimes something digestive problems related. And these people, when we do this exercise, instead of feeling hot, we feel very cold, we get hungry, we want to eat. And we, so we, uh, weight becomes normal. And this is what Boteka wrote already decades ago, that these techniques allows people to normalize their body weight. That's that's amazing that it can do that. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a shame that we don't have time to uh, do um, you know an exercise that you know an introductory one that you could uh, demonstrate uh, for people um, so that they can well, kind of have an idea of what they're getting themselves into. You know, when they sign no, up. I can explain again, but, like uh, to address. We call it the Boteka emergency procedure. What people uh -huh. can do when they have, for example, a coughing attack, asthma attack, even heart attack. And most of these people, they do not require medication because asthmatics, usually we use Ventolin on demand. This is what doctors teach. And people with heart problems, we can take uh, medication for that. But Boteka discovered that in most cases, we do not require medication. Maybe some severely sick, they may take half dose, one third of the dose, in addition to doing this briefing exercise. But briefing exercise is very simple. So if, if you do just uh, uh, this uh, exercise in order to address your symptom, in order to stop heart attack, and most people with uh, mild epilepsy, like uh, seizures, light seizures, be able to stop light seizures even as well with this exercise. Coughing attacks, as I mentioned, people who have cystic fibrosis, other conditions, COPD, so we can apply for that. To fall asleep fast, 
uh, this video was a, uh, like a, our web page, our video was getting, I remember, up to half a million uh, views and clicks in the past because it was so popular technically. Because you don't require anything, you go to sleep and you do this reduced briefing. I can explain, it takes uh, literally like three, five minutes how to do, to address a symptom, how to fall asleep fast, how to relieve constipation. It works super well, not maybe as wow. good as coughing, but I would say 70%, 80% of people are able to have bowel movements when we have have constipation just sitting on the toilet wow. because you don't need anything else you just manipulate your breath so here how it works so when you uh, have asthma attack heart attack coughing and so on all these conditions uh, you sit down relax completely rest monitor your breath of course you would notice that your breath is quite heavy because during exacerbations people breathe much more and what you do next right. here is have usual exhale usual outhale relax completely pinch your nose and hold your breath so you accumulate carbon dioxide. When people have these attacks, their breath holding time until discomfort, small discomfort, is going to be very short, maybe five, seven, 10 seconds, most commonly. And so what you do next after this breath, short breath hold, when you get first day hunger, release your nose and take gentle, slow inhalation through the nose, not as much as you want, but a little bit less, so that you keep air hunger, you keep this desire to breathe. You don't like over breathe right away, but keep accumulate carbon dioxide. What you do next after this inhalation, relax immediately all your muscles in order to exhale. Then you take another small short inhalation, maybe two thirds, like 70, 80% of what you want to take, not big inhale, little bit again, less than you would usually do. And then again, relax to exhale. So if you continue to breathe in this manner, this reduced breathing, you keep more CO2 in your body and carbon dioxide dilates blood vessels literally in seconds. It works very fast. Some studies say it's again most powerful, most potent known vasodilator, which is stronger than chemical drugs even. So when you accumulate this carbon dioxide, your airways dilate for asthmatics. Your blood vessels dilate, that means your spasm in the, for example, rectum muscles, when you have need to have bowel movements, this spasm is re released. When people have heart attack, more oxygen is provided, better blood flow is provided to the heart muscle. So, and therefore, that it works so well when you want to fall asleep fast, carbon dioxide immediately gives you more blood, more oxygen supply to your brain, but carbon dioxide has totally independent effect, being a very strong sedative calmative of the nerve cells. That means your nerve cells calm down, slow down. That's the reason why people hyperventilate. People can, exp you know, when, when we show people have like panic attacks, you know, in horror movies, what we do, we have... <laughs> Breathe through the right. mouth heavily and be looking like frantically around, like what to do because we don't understand what is going on. And it makes sense because we have so heavy breathing, it's really difficult for them to make a solution because the brain is overexcited. The nerve cells in a state of, uh, in a state, uh, like the quote that I really love to use in my uh, like articles, books about uh, related to nerve cells and brain, uh, neurologists, professional neurologists who never knew about Buteyka, about breathing and so on, they wrote that, Hyperventilation leads to spontaneous and asynchronous firing of neurons. Try to again. Mm. Hyperventilation again leads to spontaneous and asynchronous. That means your nerve cell starts to fire here and there, totally unrelated to the real world, to your um, to right. walk of your senses, to walk of your brain. All of a sudden, like anything can happen in your brain just because of hyperventilation. And that again, so when people try to fall asleep fast, of course, it works right away. <clears throat> right. 
Right. Well, that's that's really fantastic. I wish we could. I could tell we could talk for another hour and fourteen minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, um, Dr. Artur Rakimov. Yeah, yeah. He is uh, the Buteco uh, breathing expert, and uh, you can find him at normalbreathing.com. And you've also got, uh, you said, uh, YouTube videos, and those are also at norm- Normal Breathing on Yeah, YouTube? it's Dr. Artur Rahimov channel we have, but you can write uh, Artur, doc- Artur, just Artur, A-R-T-O, A-R-T-O-U-R on Amazon, on YouTube, and you'll find me right away there, just my, 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 by my first name. All right, great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you, Dan- thank you, Adrian, yeah. That's- fascinating area. All right, so um, that's all recorded.